Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'm Af Mohotra, the host and founder of Straight Talk. It's an absolute pleasure to be on this show yet again. And by the way, we're coming close to our hundredth show very, very soon. We'll tell you more about it as we get close to it. Today, I have a, a fantastic guest. And as you know, we're moving towards interviewing and having frank discussions with authors, authors who have spent their um, lives, their many, many months and years studying and researching a particular topic and then having the courage and uh, foresight to write a book on it. And I love interviewing authors because they give me perspectives that are so different and so uh, unique that it's uh, it's an addiction to some extent for me. So yet today I'm fulfilling my addiction because I have a fantastic gentleman on the on the call today, um, Wolfgang. And Wolfgang, tell us how to pronounce your surname because I, I can, but I want to make sure I pronounce it the right way. Perfect. Hello, my name is Wolfgang Schnellbecher. Schnellbecher. So we've got Wolfgang Schnellbecher, and he is uh, the author of Profit from the Source. And we'll give you a clue as to what this is about. Profit from the Source. And um, one or two things I want to say before I kick um, it you know, into mode and we start having this frank conversation. The, the entire sort of context of this book and, you know, why Wolfgang and his colleagues wrote this book is very close to my heart because of my corporate background and history with chief information officers and what I refer to as sourcing leaders or what, what they what many call chief procurement officers. And it's such an important book and it's such a great timing for this book. I was I was hoping someone's going to write this book at some point, because believe it or not, two years ago, I was discussing this with a bunch of sourcing leaders and CPOs, and I interviewed uh, Joseph Martinez, who was the previous CPO of BNY Mellon, and he'll probably be watching. And we had this exact conversation about how CPOs are totally underrated, totally misunderstood, totally undervalued in the C-suite. And so I'm so glad that I have this uh, gentleman here today. Wolfgang has written this brilliant book. Wolfgang, welcome to the show. Uh, I'd like to start by just asking you to give us a short piece on who you are, where are you from, actually, because I kind of know, but the audience needs to know. What are you doing in your life right now? Because uh, I know you work for BCG. And um, tell us a little bit about your background, about your personal story, because I think I find when I interview authors, it's not as straightforward as, well, I had a burning desire to write a book about an issue. There is a story behind it and a story behind the story. And it's never straightforward. So I just want to get a glimpse of that for the audience because they would love to know it. Wolfgang, the ball is in your court. Uh, please tell us about yourself. Thank you very much. Happy to pick up the ball. Wonderful to be on your show, F. Thank you very much for the great introduction. Now, indeed, my name is Wolfgang, as you can hear by the name, as you can hear by my accent, I'm from Germany. And I'm actually working with BCG and I'm leading the procurement topic in Europe, the Middle East, Africa and South America. In that, I focus on transformations, how to ensure companies are better equipped for the future, how companies gain a competitive edge. And as you rightly say, procurement is a secret weapon for CEOs, how they can leapfrog competition. Procurement is the most underrated function in order to do so. Now, my personal history goes exactly into that way. I studied economics at the university in Germany in that, I focused auditing, controlling, so very numbers having, and marketing. Mm -hmm. I started my first job, then in auditing, controlling, and after like two weeks, no offense to everybody who works there, I got my first 
personal crisis and I said, okay, this is too numbery. I need to find something with numbers where I can really make a quantitative difference, but also connect it to people. And then I found procurement is the sweet spot to do so. You get a broad outreach, you get a close connect, too many suppliers, you get a close connect to the entire company you're working for. You get it always with a core target you can quantify in what you're buying. But in the end, you make the change through personal discussions and relationships. And that's what I found so fascinating about it. Then I did my PhD there in the procurement field on game theory-based negotiations. And afterwards, I went right into consulting. I must admit, not directly into BCG. I was with McKinsey before. And then I jumped to BCG four years ago because BCG in particular has this angle of digital artificial intelligence and making procurement a strategic angle, yeah? 11 years yeah. in consulting overall, four to five years with BCG, and in that now across the industries driving the change there. Fabulous, that's amazing. And I love the fact that you, so you did a PhD in game theory. That's very interesting. Exactly. And uh, that would have been, did that feed into some of your thinking into this book, as in like some impetus at least? It may have been a long time ago. Exactly. It fed a lot into the thinking. For example, when you look about how companies negotiate with each other, how to leverage artificial intelligence there. Because a lot of the game theory can be a start. You build the initial rules, how to set up negotiation strategies, and then build on that how the artificial intelligence can then further improve it, right? So still, I practice a lot from my PhD setups. Yeah, brilliant. It always makes a big difference. I remember um, some of my early work, I, I did my first degree, interestingly, in anthropology, <laughs> which back then, no one, my parents had no idea why I did that course. But funnily enough, many years later, it, it's a cool course to do, apparently. And uh, it helps people apply both sides of their brain or your uh, neocortex and your limbic and the whole lot at the same time. So I think I'm advantaged, but my uh, dissertation, which I did then, um, was on, you know, um, the whole idea of spirituality, which is yeah. also a hot topic, well-being and godmen, because there are yeah. so many of these godmen floating around in the world. So it's amazing how your dissertation does somehow come back into your life and makes a massive impact. So amazing to hear that. Now let's talk and about this book, one, So Profit from the and, Source. And maybe you know this one speech yeah. of Steve Jobs, Stay Hungry, Stay Foolish, where he's describing how he went to university yeah. and then doing all kinds of courses, which in the end didn't really look so systematic, didn't really look so useful, like calligraphy. But then at the right moments in his life, he was so happy he has done this because he could connect the dots. And his resume is, do always what's striking you, do always what's filling you, and in that, you will always find opportunities to leverage that information. Yeah, it's much better than to press yourself into something the others tell you just to do. Yeah, you're bang on. Absolutely. And Apple is one of those companies, and I guess Steve, um, who, who, who has who's turned that into a bit of a, um, a, a case study for just about everything possible. Exactly. Um, so let, let's go into your book. I'm really intrigued. So Profit from the Source, tell us very quickly a little bit about the book. Why did you write it? And I, I believe you wrote it with a bunch of different people and some co-authors. So walk us through a, a summary of this book. What was the thought process behind the book? Yes. 
So we were four partners from BCG, Christian True, Alenka Triplett, Daniel Weisel, and myself. And we found procurement is the most underrated function of companies overall. And we found that if we could bring procurement into the right light, starting from the top, starting from CEOs, we can have massive benefits for the companies. But equally, we can have massive benefits for societies as a total. The better societies connect, the more we exchange innovation, ideas, the more we are open for collaboration, the better it will be for all of us. Now, hmm. if you look at it, right now, procurement is super underrated. Let's be frank. Not always the best companies, not always the best people in a company go into procurement. The people who are in procurement are trained to just twist suppliers, to just treat them hard. We need to get all of that. Yeah. And this was the core. We were writing a book really originally to everybody but procurement people because we wanted them to start seeing procurement with different eyes. We were really starting, dear CEO, you are not taking procurement serious enough. If you're doing so, you can leapfrog competition. Hmm. I'm with you. And you, there are a couple of very interesting statistics that I'd like you just to throw at us because I think they caught my attention for sure. One of them was to do with the amount of budget that procurement holds and the other was to do with the CEO's attention towards procurement. So tell us a little bit about those stats they were revealing. Yes, yes, it's indeed revealing. So if you look at the budget a classical company has on procurement spend, it starts maybe in financial industries with 30-40% and then it goes massively up, like in machining around 80% and automotive you're around 80% and retail you're even higher. In classical companies like in the chemical space you're much above 50%. So the highest, highest share of all your costs is within procurement and then at the same time, if you look at how much time do CEOs spend on procurement, it's devastating. It's 1% of a classical CEO's time he's spending thinking about procurement, suppliers, the overall supply chain, talking to them. Michael Porter did such an analysis. It's these seven minutes a day, 1% compared to the 50% plus that are usually in the procurement budget. Now, in addition to that, when they think about suppliers, when they think about procurement, they primarily do it from a cost angle. Even these big mm -hmm. automotive OEMs where there's a massive, massive procurement function set up, they only talk about cost. Now, we believe if the CEO would spend more time on procurement, if the CEO would be carefully weighting this in, he could get not only savings, but he could get the best innovation out of suppliers. Let's think it through. In your own engineering function, in your own R&D, maybe you're having a thousand people, maybe 5,000 people. But if you add up the engineering functions, the R&D of your top 10 suppliers, you're easily coming to these numbers times 10, yeah? 10,000, 50,000. You need to access this right. And you need to think about your suppliers as a source of innovation, quality, mm. speed. You can be much faster if you trigger suppliers, right? Sustainability, not to mention risk. If we're treating suppliers right, if we're building the relationships right, we can for sure condense our risk and get things more control in these rather insecure supply chains we're having right now. 
And we need CEOs to spend more time on this, not 1%, it should be adequate to the budget, which is these 50% plus. Procurement needs to be the core function, and this is one of the core messages we're dragging out there. Hmm, beautiful. I, I got it. That's shocking. Six, uh, 60% over 60% of uh, spend is owned by procurement or more, as you said, in different industries. And then a CEO only spends seven minutes of their time, of their time um, on that Horrible, function. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the word crazy comes to mind, but, you know, we'll come to that. Let, let me, let me, you know, because a lot of our listeners, Wolfgang, are, you know, in executive roles, they're entrepreneurs, they're authors like you and so on. So we've got a really strong proficient group of people. So I'm gonna skip through a few things that might be a little bit obvious for you. Uh, and I think hopefully this is refreshing for you. So I, w- I wanna start with a, a, a context setter for you. Uh, Cause I, let's, let's take the headline as, so profit from the source. And I'm, I'm looking at a paradigm change in procurement. Let's just say I'm looking at a paradigm change. So anytime you look at a paradigm change, let's take you know, a non-digital business to a digital business. I usually call, uh, I have a category, I have archetypes that I use. I have dwindlers, people who ignore digital and will die, and many have. I have Darwin, Darwins who are willing to change and shapeshift. Then you have disruptors, you know who they are, the tech titans usually. Yeah. And then you have dominators, a category that I really like. And there are only a few dominators who are so hungry, they want the entire value chain and supply chain, like Tesla or yeah. Apple or whatever. They make their yeah. own batteries, their own chipsets yeah. and so on. And so anytime you're looking to make transformational change, I think we've all come to a conclusion that you've got to start from the top, right? Yeah. You've got to start from the leader, the talent. So yeah. my first discussion and debate with you is, and it's going to be a good one, I think, is going to be about talent in procurement, people yes. in procurement. Now, you and I both know that procurement um, didn't just get formed overnight. There is a legacy. There was a way to hire them. There was, it was always known to be adversarial. There was a type of person you hired. There was a type of promotion that happened. That's history, right? In your view, I want to ask you this. If you're going to create change, it's not just about the CEO. Let's be fair. It's not just about the CEO saying, well, I'll just give you more love. I think it requires mass change. This is what happened to IT a long time ago, where a certain type of person was higher than IT, and then now a new type of person is higher than IT, and it's changing, believe it or not. But don't you believe that the change has to start within procurement? As in, I would challenge this, and I'll throw this at you in your wisdom and experience. Don't you think the leadership in procurement, CPOs and sourcing leaders of today, um, many of them aren't for tomorrow? And I'd like you to discuss, I'd like to discuss that with you first. So let's start at the leadership and then we can go one level lower. Because I, I, I'm not sure if the leader that was hired five years ago, who's been in an adversarial position or has been second or third fiddle at boardroom level, has the ability to, to and the courage, and you need a lot of courage, to quickly climb up the ladder and ignore all the barriers and say, I'm here, I've landed. Now give me attention, because it's not just about the CEO's mandate. I, I know that's important. Tell me what you think about that. Everybody of us is living in a world with visible and invisible walls. And the same is true for the CPOs. And the CPOs have been running through corporate life, knowing where these invisible walls are, and they've been avoiding them. And that did something to them. It did something to their thinking, it did something to their mindset. Frankly speaking, it's doing something to their motivation. I once went to CPO, and this is one of my favorite examples, who was approached by the head of R&D, and the head of R&D told him, 
I've got a great employee for your procurement function. He's not that smart, but he's very much taking care of his own money. So he's very cost conscious, right? And they showed to the CPO, okay, that's how you see me. That's how you see yourself. And this has been the world the CPOs have been operating in. Now you're right. This world has been shaping people. And maybe it's been shaping people to a irreversible manner. But I'm equally sure if we tear down these invisible walls, if we make the CEO look at the CPO with new eyes and say, I need innovation from you. Bring me innovative ideas from suppliers. I need ideas from you to become digital, right? I know I've got this great extra function to make us a more digital company, this great extra function focusing on AI, but I want you to open the doors to these dominators. I want you to open the doors to the startups. You need to bring me great ideas. The CPO strive to a new level. I just recently was introducing this AI-based negotiation steering to a big, big motor producer in Germany. And the CPO was the first person in the entire company to work with artificial intelligence. And he was running around, he was doing a video, he was doing articles, and you could really see this doing something to him. So yes, you're right. Some of these people, of course, will have to go a long way, but let's give them the mandate first. Let's tear down the walls. Let's give them these new tasks and we will see they strive. Just one, my favorite example, and sorry for again doing Apple. I promise it's the last Apple example in this video, but the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, he was the head of supply chain CPO before. And it was clear, this is a very procurement-based company. It's by the way, the company who gained most value and created most value of all companies in the world, right, in the last years. And it was very sure you are to bring this here because procurement is so important. And if we get this self-esteem and this self-consciousness across procurement companies, I'm sure also the existing CPOs will completely strive in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Thank you for thank you for saying that. And I think um, um, I guess in my mind there is a level of I'll get the mandate, and there will also need to be some cleaning the house work, yes. where yes. some people who are not fit for it anymore will say, "Who might just say, listen, 'Listen, I'm tired.' You know, uh, I actually don't know how to unlearn because I think there's a big part of unlearning, not just learning new things and being given the responsibility. Are you even ready to execute on the mandate?" Um, and so I guess there, do you, do you think it's fair to say there will be, or there needs to be some fresh blood that needs to come into, uh, the, 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 the function. And by the way, I just want to say one thing to you before I, so we just get this. I, I don't, I don't know, um, why I feel like procurement is not the right nomenclature. Um, because it, it reminds me of yesterday, you know, um, the, fu- I, I, the future cannot fit in the containers um, of the past, it, it just can't. And so that that word reminds me. And by the way, I've grown up the same way as you. You know, I'm 44. I w- did my MBA, went to Harvard, did this, did that, this, that. Groomed in you know consulting companies. And when I think of procurement, I just think of adversarial cost, uh, not at the no seat at the table. Why not change the nomenclature? I mean, you you've used profit from the source. I think it's probably got multiple meanings. But why yeah. not just I don't know. It doesn't have to be sourcing. But why not change it to chief sourcing officer or chief, I don't know, the strategic sourcing function? Why procurement? Yes. Right? yes. I love your push. In the end, what's right now called procurement is the function which is opening to gates to the, the gates to the world out there. These are the people who bring in all the creativity, all the smart thinking, the sustainability, 
the cost effectiveness, what's out there. All the ideas are out in the world to 7 million people. These are the people to bring it into our company. Yeah, And you're completely right. It's going to be a long way to make people understand this is procurement. I actually like the word sourcing, yeah, but um, it's going to be a long way and maybe a change from nomenclature will be of help. And then you're also right, if I look at the existing staff, yeah, in my previous answer, I didn't want to condemn them all, right? But it's crucial we get fresh blood in. And this fresh blood needs to be, in my view, coming from our own company, coming from the functions which are already there with some great expertise on what's being bought, yeah? And also from outside of the company. So if we have somebody buying steel, let's hire a person from a steel mill who has been working there before. If we're having somebody buying facility management, let's hire people from ISS or any of these facility management companies and bring in this fresh blood. And at the same time, we need to equip ourselves with a new momentum and with a self-cautiousness. So when I talked about this example about the TPO being the first one with artificial intelligence, you could really see how the function was becoming more attractive. Before that, yeah. it was not really that the super hot stars within the company were saying, well, I would love to go into procurement, that's the place to be, I would love to start there. Quite the opposite, right? It was more the people maybe looking for a straightforward lifestyle of just beating a bit the suppliers. This is the function opening the gates to the world. This is where we want to have the best people in. And this is how in the entire company, the young talent needs to understand it. Yeah, I think I think you're bang on. I think so. I think in other words, what you're saying is the, the deep level of experience and expertise in domains. Let's not call them yeah. categories, changing the language around, but domains yeah. or um, cross-functional areas, uh, capability in cross-functional areas actually could be amazing. Uh, tell me a little bit about this concept of innovation. Is there some, is there an idea or should there be an idea where they're actually innovation people? Not, I don't mean negotiating innovation. I mean, just people yeah. who are like entrepreneurs in residence. You know, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm familiar with this. In, in large companies, entrepreneurs are asked to come in as entrepreneurs in residence, as you're probably familiar. Yeah. Why, why not procurement or sourcing having entrepreneurs and residents who come in, who provide a whole different perspective on tech, on innovation, on rapid product development. Is that happening right now? Do you think there's a possibility of that? Well, the first thing we need to be doing is to treat the right suppliers differently. Yeah, okay. Right. Mm -hmm. If I look at the old automotive players, I've seen instances of a supplier driving three hours for a meeting with a buyer being downstairs five minutes before the meeting and the buyer said, oh, I'm too busy, you shall be driving away again, right? This, of course, is not how you trigger to get the best innovation out of a supplier. This is not how you can get somebody sitting at the table with you, thinking in you, investing time, co-creating. We need to be identifying who are the best suppliers <laughs> out there and bring them to our table for great discussions. And this is what's not happening right now. And this is what we need to foster much more, yeah? And then I'm completely with you. It's not only suppliers we already have. Where are the great innovators? Where are the great startups out there? Where can we bring in the most innovative ideas? Of course, suppliers, which we already have been running, are champions in their technology. They have mm. not the highest incentive to completely think up with something new. We need procurement to be at spot 
in Silicon Valley, in Tel Aviv, in China, really in the areas where great innovation is happening and be discussing there with startups, new innovative ideas. And this goes completely beyond the current thinking of what procurement is supposed to be like, but we need to bring in these innovative ideas. And frankly speaking, it will be many cultural changes, right? Because we talked about, do we have the right people? The same is true for our own R&D function, right? I mean, our own R&D function is completely used to think about everything themselves, always create everything themselves, always being someone also locked into existing technologies. And I, I'm super familiar with that because I work a lot in these strong, strong industries, which but slowly are on the decline, right? Like the machining industry, et cetera. They need to be much more open. What's a digital idea? What could be a new product? Who are the young creative minds, the dominators sitting somewhere and making the connect, yeah? And this is completely not happening at all, yeah? We need to have a stronger connect there. Mm-hmm. I recall uh, I was doing business with a bank because uh, I'm a tech entrepreneur myself. And of course, I'm one of those categories. I'm a startup innovator, you know, a younger company. And I was doing this with this bank. I won't name them, but a big bank in the US. And uh, what was really refreshing for me, I was trying to do a deal with them. What was refreshing for me is they, they invented a new process. It was, it was their rapid rapid uh, onboarding process, something like that, right? Yeah. Where yeah. they realized that, look, this guy, you know, he's got a small company. If I put him through the pain of bureaucracy, uh, he'll either go bankrupt by the time he's found resources to respond to every question or lose interest. And actually yeah. founders, as you know, are uh, very discerning and actually don't have to, they're not interested in conforming to norms. They're actually rule breakers, right? Stay foolish to stay hungry kind of concept. Yeah. And I love the fact that this bank had a process. So I quickly got onboarded and I quickly signed some documents in two weeks and I was doing yeah. business with them. And yeah. I sort of, I said, so whilst this is good for me, I said to them, so how do you decide that this process is right for me? He said, yeah. well, you know, because you're in this category and so on. I said, okay, but why would you not do that for your B suppliers, for yeah. someone who's a little bit bigger than me? Why, why wouldn't you all just extend this out? Because isn't this a much better way of doing business with you? Admittedly, you can put in walls and thresholds, so you have to manage risk and stuff. He said, hmm, interesting. I said, so why did you just invent it for me? He said, well, that's because you're smaller, you're more agile, you know, founders thinking that way. I said, yes, but how, what, how amazing would it be if you did this for another grade of supplier? You'd allow all of us to be more efficient and innovative, right? So he's like, yeah, it's a good point. So that triggers a thought process. Um, I, are you, do, you think there's, do you think there's enough agility? Do you think there's enough flexibility in the minds of the leaders in the sourcing function to have this conversation? Like if you and I were to go in right now into X company, do you think they'd be, yeah. I mean, you're from BCG, so they'll listen to you and you're an author. But apart from that, would they actually listen to us? Yeah. And I fear most would not. But the ones who would will really leapfrog. We are getting into a more and more and more volatile world. Yeah. And this is, of course, leading to risks, right? I mean, let's just think the last two years how the pandemic has changed things, Yeah, how new technologies arose, how new working models arose. I mean, many, many things happened that nobody had believed would be possible in the business world, right? And now we've got the, the wars ongoing, we got further natural disasters ongoing. So there will be many things happening still leading to volatility. And on the other side, also on the positive side, right? There will be a much more advanced and faster digitization happening. 
There will be more happening on the innovative scale when it comes to new products. Yeah, there will be happening a big push on sustainability, which again can be a great business opportunity to leapfrog competition. And the ones who open the gates right to all these ideas out there versus now trying to somehow with the old products, old thinking, old technology, fiddle themselves through, these will be the ones winning. And as you rightly say, the core thing, if we're opening the gates, is that we make it easy for people to come in to bring in their ideas. And if we're putting very, very complex processes in, huh, this is getting more difficult, yeah? And this, to me, is part of the solution why Tesla, for example, has been so fast in the innovative setups. They've been hiring their procurement staff predominantly from the high-tech players, from the Apples, from the Dells, because I said, okay, these processes are much faster. We can much better open our gates. We can much better bring in this innovation from their side. And therefore, of course, we'll have some advantages over players who are not doing this. Yeah, you're banging on. Tesla is a great example, actually. Um, so I, wanted to, I want to move the conversation slightly towards, still on people, but I want to get into something more important, I think provocative in terms of trying to build the right pipeline of talent into yeah. sourcing, which is salaries and compensations. And please correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it's my wrong, it's my perceptions not right. But if I remember correctly in my corporate days, people in sourcing and procurement weren't paid as well as they should. And the role descriptions and the job descriptions were like different. That's the nicest way of putting it. And I'm wondering if it's not just about talent, you also have to pay them really well. If you take borrow leaf out of Apple or any tech company that kind of does this reasonably well, you've got to pay people well. You've got to look after them. You've got to, they cannot feel like they're third class. And I remember in my, in my days in technology and in my days in selling technology and selling into different companies, I always felt that the, the, the I've actually felt a lot for the procurement people from the procurement leaders and category managers. I remember them. They were so good. I used to take them out for lunches and dinners. We used to chat. So knowledgeable about the business. But I always felt that they had a chip on their shoulder. And I think it's not because they were born with that or and that's what they were like. At work, they always felt they weren't getting heard. They always felt that they were second class, like their salaries were lower, their bands were lower. I'm, again, I'm generalizing, so you're going to correct me, right? So the bands were lower. Their bonus structures weren't the same in some of the other fields. I'm not saying them versus sales, but even comparative fields. Has any of that changed, or is, is that also the stuff that needs re major re-examination? Yeah, it heavily depends on the industry, very heavily. There are industries where if you want to get something, you need to be going through procurement. But in most industries, this is not the case. In most industries, you really have significantly lower salaries if you're in procurement versus the rest. In most industries, you're having not the mandate. You're always sent away. You can always be putting pressure on procurement. We are really not that far there. Yeah. On the other side, if we're looking at what's happening overall in the procurement field, even in the industries where it's advanced yeah, and where it's important, People don't perceive procurement FTE as very creative. People don't perceive procurement FTE as strategic, digital, etc. Yeah. So yes, we need to be working on the salary, but at the same time, we need to be working on explaining to everybody we're owning 50, 60, 70 percent of the budget. We're the ones who are opening the gate. We're the most strategic function in this overall company. If we are to succeed in the more volatile, volatile, fragmented, fragmented world. It is about procurement, and we are the pioneers, the spearheads of the overall 
globalization development, then we can get the right talent. Salary is a part of it, but it's a lot about the self-esteem and self-stamina. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Self-esteem, because you're getting to the person as well now, right? Which is such a crucial point because your decisions are based on how you feel. Right. Um, If you're feeling motivated and empowered and enchanted by the leadership and inspired, you'll do different things as opposed to your body language, your demeanor, your mindset being on the other side. It's that sort of growth fixed mindset sort of thinking process. So I agree. Uh, Still on that topic. Sorry, you were saying. Just imagine, right? The procurement function just came back from Silicon Valley, talking to 10 great startups. We're now introducing what we learned. By the way, we bought this one startup, right? This is a cool story to tell, right? A much cooler story. Hey, we went down and negotiated some stamping suppliers. It's 2% savings versus just originally one. Huh? Yeah. We need to get to get to both sides of the story. Yeah. Of course, you can also tell a great story about game theory based negotiations. Yeah. Aesthetics may be there, but we need to include this great innovative push that you were starting with and mentioning. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about diversity for a second because, uh, again, I'm not sure how much it's talked about. And I want to break it into two parts. One is you're very familiar with, I'm sure you're familiar with both. One is supplier diversity. So the different types of suppliers who have, have different founders, people of color, people from different backgrounds, different parts of the world and so on. And then the other diversity I want to talk about is the diversity of people and the diversity of thought, the diversity of backgrounds inside the sourcing function. Again, I'm not saying it's perfect, it's not. I think it's open. I think this conversation is about the fact that change is coming, right? It feels like your book is saying, look, time for change, guys. Whether whether leaders do it quickly or slowly, we don't know, but there is time for seismic change. So talk us through what is really going on on the supply diversity side. Are you seeing any good practices, any bright spots um, where, where is it looking good? And then I want to move your attention into diversity of people. Who's hired in that job? Is it all white, middle-class male men or whatever equivalent? Or are we seeing a mix of people from different backgrounds? So, so let's start with the supply diversity, if, if I may. Yes, sure. There's no person as smart as a group of people. And for sure, the more diverse this group is, the wider it thinks the wider spans of horizon. And this is totally applicable on the supplier side as well. If you're only having suppliers of a certain kind, you won't get as many ideas, as many creative ideas. Interestingly enough, when you do research on negotiations, negotiations are more comfortable to people the more the opponent is matching your own race, right? Age, gender, whatever, yeah? Then if you, however, get more negotiations with different people, yeah, with different opponents, yeah, you get much smarter solutions in this overall setup, yeah? And therefore, mixing the supplier side, mixing the startups, right? And that means also not just going to Silicon Valley, yeah, but then also going to Tel Aviv, then also going to China, yeah, to get more ideas. And of course, it's harder, right? because you have to adapt more to different cultures, right? It's much more easy if you're on the same group of people, right? To come to one conclusion, yeah? Versus with a diverse setup. And it doesn't matter which type of people are sitting there, right? It's completely the same, right? Whether it's male, female, or whatever, yeah? It's much more easy. The more equal these people are, the more common these people are. But the more diverse you are, the broader the horizon, the more complex the setup. We're just starting. We are for sure just starting when looking at this from a supplier angle. 
But for sure, this is something when we are opening the gates, yeah? If we want to have the best ideas out there, it can't mean just to look at one part of this big, big mosaic of the 7 billion people out there. We need to get an entire picture, yeah? And that means doing different dots, yeah? Going to Tel Aviv, going to China, going to some startup based in Poland, in Angola, and then have the discussions there in Iceland to get the best ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And then I guess it also matters as to the people working inside sourcing. If you've got people who are diverse inside sourcing, yes. who are engaging with diverse suppliers who also look different and sound different, then that synergy is that mix of people makes it all that all that much more special. So what are you seeing any any progress, any hope there where you're seeing CPOs or chief sourcing officers saying, actually, do you know what? I need to be hiring different kinds of people. Obviously, I guess if you've got a sourcing team in India, you're going to be hiring people who are hireable in India. If you've got a sourcing team in the West somewhere, you're going to be hiring people from native or from there and so on. But are you are you seeing any form, are you seeing some hope where there is more inter interconnectedness with this new diversity yeah. agenda inside uh, sourcing? The good thing is we're building global organizations. Yeah. We are building hubs to where innovation is happening. And this does not mean I'm just setting up a data center in India and these people just doing the hard data work. Hey, we got these 10,000 files. Somebody needs to put them manually, right? This means talking to great suppliers in the Indian setup. This means driving great sourcing ideas. Same for China, same for Japan, right? Really across the globe. Wherever we've been having great ideas, we've seen great ideas in our ecosystem that's where people are to be sitting and the organizations are getting more and more global yeah we're getting out of hey we are detroit based company detroit based automotive supplier let's only have people here we're getting the ideas from everywhere else yeah and this is where where the positive trend is going and i think that's the right trend right because we can only bring in the best if we are really positioned to be there at site yeah and every idea people are bringing in the end are built on a personal relationship, right? I have no chance sitting in Germany and having this Tokyo-based startup really sharing the best with me. I need to be there. I need to visit these people. And therefore, we need to have these international procurement functions, yeah? Same is true with Tel Aviv or whatever. You share right. with what is with where you have a great relationship to. And by the way, this is not only true for ideas. As we are running into scarce, scarce, scarce supply chain setups, yeah. When it, for example, comes to raw material shortages, etc., you need to be there. So the teams need to be diverse because they need to be globally expanded. Yeah, excellent, great. So I mean, I think we've touched on—not touched on—we've actually covered the talent piece in so much detail, and I, I love it. I love the responses back, and that's what I was looking for because that's the whole point of straight talk. I'm going to change gears towards something different, which is, uh, again, close to your heart, I'm sure, which relates to supply chains, right? So help us understand, and I've seen in my past life where sourcing is separated from supply chain or procurement, if you want to call it that. You don't always have the same leader running su supply chain and procurement and sourcing. Can you help me understand today with you know your BCG hat, I guess, you work with so many clients, Given the backdrop of geopolitics, and we all know about what's going on with scarcity and who owns what resources and disruption of supply chains and war and all those horrible things, 
where do you see this going? Like now that you're talking about the seismic change in the sourcing function, yeah. what do you think is going to happen now um, in terms of internal functional structures? And yeah. then yeah. give us a, shed some light on externally what you think companies should be doing as a result with this disruption in global supply chains. Yeah, it's a great question. And by answering, I will make many, many enemies and many friends. Yeah, but this is my view on the world. Now, in the past, supply chains were stable and the core competitive angle was to integrate them super, super seamless into the own production process. And therefore, the supply chain setup at first was super independent of procurement and it's a second very close in whatever organizational format to the production system, to the production group. Now, the world is severely changing. Now, as we are running into and still running into and will be remaining into a more insecure world, and we've been talking about it, right? Pandemics, war, natural disaster, trade war, etc. The competitive angle is to ensure you actually get whatever you have been buying here. Yeah? You get the supply to your overall production. It's not about the efficient setup. It's just to get, to get it overall. And therefore, we need to be super close with procurement. We need to be super close with the procurement levers of dual sourcing, of stronger contractual setups, of shifting the suppliers, the production within our own supplier landscape to wherever we have it most efficient. Also to supply chain levers to have a higher inventory, et cetera. Yeah? And therefore these two functions now need to work closer together. And therefore I'm a very big fan of re-anchoring supply chain closer to procurement and taking a bit it away from the overall production scheme. All right. Can you repeat that last bit again? Because it's a very important. What are you in favor of? You really want me to make many enemies. We need to have supply chain closer to procurement, less close to production, because it's no more about an efficient production setup. It's mm -hmm. much more about having the close angle to the suppliers and to have the supply chain anchored to where we have secure supply. Got it. Perfect. It makes, for me, it makes total sense, and which is why I asked you the question. And by the way, none of this is rehearsed, right? We're just having a conversation here. So you haven't prompted me to ask you anything. Um, no. I, I, I want to bring in another dynamic then. So let's assume that happens in whatever form, right? Let's assume it happens. Let's go back to this concept of agility and adaptability of the supply chain and uh, inventory um, lines. And then obviously the conversation or the, or the relationship between the company and then the supplier base, right? And there are all sorts of different suppliers. Now, if you think about technology companies and you think about how they've caused disruption, positive disruption in the market and reinvented business models and Apple, Tesla, Google, Microsoft, Microsoft reinvented itself and look at them now versus what they were even five or 10 years ago. And the thousands of stories we all know. Do you see any differences in the way technology companies, tech companies manage sourcing and supply chain versus non-tech companies, like the traditional ones, like you said, you know, chemicals or automotive and stuff. Are you seeing any like obvious, like glaring differences that we should know about? Yeah, I see many glaring differences. And interestingly enough, many more see that. The big automotive companies are saying, we need to be tech companies. We need to procure like tech companies. We need to supply like tech companies. We need to get out of 
this arms length to suppliers, we need to be much closer. And we need to be ready to make technical decisions. Let me focus it on three core differences. Number one, they are much, much earlier in the development process with procurement, much, much earlier. Before a design is launched, before even the first prototypes are thought of, there is input from procurement. There is sometimes even input from suppliers. So if you have the series of the iPhone already in the early phase of a new series coming up, there's requests sent out, what can we be doing differently? Where can we be saving money? Where can we really drive technical change? Just one example, right? Before you had this round adapter, right? Where you can put on your earphones. Now you only have this flat one, right? This is a massive shift, right? I mean, this just came from some inputs. Hey, we need to save the overall space here. We need to think about more yeah, radical designs and creative designs. I have some doubts whether the automotive industry would have made such a radical shift. Yeah, they just did it. Right? And many people could, could throw away the, the, the earphones, right? This radical thinking, yeah, triggered super early in the product development process. Yeah. It's something completely new with them, and they have the supplier input early on in. Number two, in the high-tech companies, the mandate of procurement is much higher, but in a creative mindset, yeah? So procurement are not the ones, your hands over, now here's my specifications, source it, yeah? But they're, they're listened to, yeah? Hey, have you seen anything on the market? Do we have a smart solution out there? Yeah. Mm. Nobody's asked that, yeah, in the more classical industries. Hey, we, we're thinking about this. Do we have a smart solution out there, right? They think they can all do it themselves in these R&D functions. At number three, and this is what we touched on as well, great people go into procurement there because they have understood in procurement is a great career platform. There's no more obvious example than what, than him, what we talked about, yeah? but it's where the great people go. And these are three core differences that not only we have seen, but really also the leaders in the classical industries have been seeing, and that's why they want to do something different here. Mm, beautiful, that's really nicely summed up. Thank you for sharing that because it's validated a hypothesis that I had and, and you're bang on. Uh, on. On that same note, let's talk a little bit about Gen Z then, because you know the next generation of employees or gig workers or whatever we'd like to call them are going to be the future uh, you know our children their children and we'll put them in whatever boxes you know gen z gen alpha <clears throat> even millennials and so on and so forth is 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 the sourcing organization hiring a lot of these gen z and if they're not to the level that you think they should generally speaking what sort of steps should they be taking? Because again, this is a, it's funny you mention this because I'm writing a paper right now with another gentleman, hopefully being, hopefully Harvard would publish it, which is about the CEO's guide to the Gen Z. And not, not on the auspices of what the CEO needs to hear. It's on the, on the auspices of what the Gen Z wants to tell the CEO. So it's the voice from the Gen Z saying, hey, whoa, 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 listen, man. This is what I want to say to you, as opposed to me saying, well, let me see how the CEO thinks about it. And yeah. every leader should be doing that. So what's your view on the Gen Z and sourcing jobs, basically? Because I, I do yeah. I do want Gen Z to think about sourcing as a role. I mean, you know, yeah. and I know I know some organizations are behind the curve, but they could go work for a tech company where it's a super cool role. So tell me what your thinking yeah. is in this space. Yeah. 
the Gen Z is a great opportunity for us. You know why? Because the Gen Z does not look at legacy. They look at opportunity. Yeah. The Gen Z is not going out there. What is in the legacy the fastest way to become a CEO? The Gen Z is not looking out there where might be more prestigious when it comes to finance versus procurement versus sales. The Gen Z is looking out there where can I make the biggest impact, which is nice, right? Mm -hmm. Let's face it, we were different. But that's a great opportunity for procurement because procurement is a place without a legacy. Mm -hmm. And procurement at the same time is a place where you can be making a core difference. This is the area where if you bring in the right narrative, which is true, here we right. can make the world a better place in sustainability and innovation. Here we can make the world grow together. That's what the Gen Z likes. And it's super smart people there. And we need the fresh blood. So we need to strike the balance there on the narrative. Hmm. It feels like there is such a huge opportunity for the sourcing organization to be a little bit more maverick in everything, like in everything, in every at every level possible, mission, vision, purpose, um, processes, procedures, protocols, talent, every area. I think if you just say you had the word maverick to it, I think it could start to shake the mind to give one the experimental mindset that you need to actually do what you're saying in your book, because it's not going to be easy, right, to, to execute on what you're describing as a future vision for the for the chief sourcing officer. So, uh, I mean, that's amazing. We're coming to the we're coming to the end of the show. It just goes so fast, you know, every single time, and there's so much more to discuss. Uh, a few things I just wanted to touch on, and then <clears throat> get your take on before we we close off. So, one thing that is always intriguing me, and then a lot of our we have mavericks on straight talk as well like in the sense that we have this massive community of straight talkers um wolfgang and then we have a group a select group of mavericks so the speakers uh, people who've been watching our show for a long time leaders in the industry they think differently they call themselves misfits sometimes but we think we all think very differently and uh, in fact i'd love to invite you onto the we have a whatsapp group it's a private whatsapp group like about a hundred of us nearly and we we thrash everything out we just discuss everything it's beautiful it reminds me of of, of that group and I'm speaking for that group now and so one of the questions that group will have definitely is you look in the future all of these c-suite executives have to also look after each other it reminds me of one of our interviews with a navy seal mark divine who talked about the concept of how seals work and how they they shape shift you could put them in any situation mm. but they mm. he said we've always got each other's back that's one mm. thing you know they call it simpa gumby we're, we're moldable we are like the little toy, we're moldable, we're flexible, but we always have each other's back, which is why I can move forward in enemy in an enemy territory and know that Wolfgang's there. He's got he's got me. I, this doesn't even cross my mind. And therefore I can take decisions, quick, speedy decisions. T tell me a little bit about the future of the the, the C-suite with the chief sourcing officer or whoever, whoever, whatever we call that person. Which other C-suite people outside of the CEO? I get the CEO. Who else does that person need the support of where you think, you know what, you should have been getting this for a while. I feel, you know, you, the C-suite X, you should have been supporting that guy for or that person for a long time. So what was your what's your what's your plea to the C-suite, other C-suite leaders uh, in relation to helping the chief sourcing officer? Yeah. Everybody should be having procurement back. Procurement will become a much more experimental function. 
and we should not be sitting there watching, comparing to the past, blaming. Everybody should be having their back, especially right now, sales and head of sales. What's happening right now is we are running into this big inflationary market, which is not ending so fast. Well, sales are sitting there. Well, you don't stop this inflation for us. Oh, you have these high prices. You need to condense it. You need to report more. I need to know exactly what's happening in the future. We can be much stronger in the overall company if, for example, procurement and sales work better with each other. Sales giving better forecasts to procurement that they can leverage towards the suppliers. Procurement giving better forecasts to sales and controlling to what's happening out there. These are the two functions, the most dispersed. And this, as we have this high volatility, for sure needs to stop and they need to work closer with each other. And I really like your picture of having each other's back. Right now, if you look at the classical board, there's too much politics, where, by the way, the CPO is playing a rather weak role overall, but there's too much politics and there's too little having each other's back. And if we want to survive in this very, very fast environment, we need at times to just move forward fast. We need at yeah. times to just conquer a new technology, gain a new access and treat, for example, a supplier maybe better or worse than we've been doing before. And we need to have each other's back in that and ensure this entrepreneurial mindset is there. And especially towards sales and procurement, I've got this special plea. Got sales, procurement, I, I totally agree. Um, long may it continue. So um, we're coming to the end of the show and I th thank you so much for giving me your time. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been super informative for me and helped me to go back to uh, my, my old days where I spent so much time with these C-suite executives. Now I'm a founder of a startup and I'm in a different zone and, and doing this stuff. But you've reminded me of actually the, the good stuff, the really good stuff that needs fixing and can be fixed and, be, and, and turn into something quite powerful, become something quite powerful for the world around these companies. Uh, tell us about your book. Where can we get it? Is it, is it on sale? Where do we find it? And um, where can people contact you? Just tell us a little bit about how we can get hold of you. Yes. So our book, Profit from the Source, is um, published with Harvard Business. It's the first book ever on procurement, on sourcing with Harvard Business, which was super important to us, right? So we bring it to the C-suite. You can order it in every bookstore. You can order it in the internet. You can have it online. Profit from the Source. It's quite unique. And yeah, we are very happy looking to any type of feedback. So... I'm on LinkedIn. You can always reach out. I'll be very happy to connect, very happy to discuss deeper and looking forward to hearing from you all. Excellent. Wonderful. And we'll definitely go and buy a bunch of copies. We, we tend to give out every time we have authors, we buy some copies and we do dinners every quarter here in London. And the next time in, I'm in, you're in Stuttgart, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm in Germany, we'll do a dinner there or whatever, but we'll give your books out to a bunch of people and um, I may get you to sign a few copies. And, and so that feels good for people as well. We need to push this. We, we will absolutely promote this for you. It's an important topic. It's an important issue uh, for us to have a better company of tomorrow, a, con a conscious business with all, all sorts of leaders who are plugged in at the same level. You know, no one should feel isolated. Um, how has the experience been today for you? I mean, as we close off, I'd love your input. How has the straight talk conversation been today for you? What's your feeling? I mean, what's your emotion right now? We'd love, love your input right now. I feel excited. I like the startup mentality you bring to procurement. I like the freshness of the thinking, of shaking up the mind. So I feel excited and um, looking forward to the feedback from the audience. 
Excellent. Yeah, likewise. I had, had a lot of fun chatting to you and I'm glad I was able to push certain questions your way. Thank you so much. We'll absolutely be in touch. Maybe we'll get you back in the next few months or back at the end of the year um, to share your experiences and how the book has turned into reality or is turning into reality and how big companies are actually taking bits of what you've said and executing on it because I think that's what we we desperately need. So uh, Wolfgang, it's a real pleasure having you on Straight Talk again. Thank you so much for your time. We will um, absolutely be in touch and uh, may the force of Straight Talk be with you. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon.